the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be together uh, today. A ton happening, and I want to fill you in on all of it. we got some great interviews again. Um, so let's get right to it. Um, one of the things that's important about today is uh, that the Supreme Court, you probably heard this, the Supreme Court received a case from Texas, a filing from Texas, and the the Texas filing. So let me tell you what, this is This is um, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. I go to Pro-America report.com by the way and sign up for the daily wink i want to cover two things in this opening segment one is general flynn and he's finally free and i want to tell you the details of that and two is this texas lawsuit so uh let me um let me walk you through these two so you're aware of what is happening and you can uh go away from this uh understanding better okay so the texas lawsuit the texas lawsuit which was filed uh, yesterday and has now been joined by almost, I think, uh, 10 state attorneys general. And very good. They've all basically joined in. And President Trump announced that he's joining that. But but let me explain what this is, this case. OK, let me explain the case to you, because people don't quote, quite know what to make of it. And I want you to understand it. And that is this. Texas basically has said, hey, wait a second. Why is it that we have been um, plugging along for a couple of years and got our elections in order? Why is it that we ran our election cleanly? Everything went fine. And when it was done, although there may have been incidents of fraud, I don't think there's ever such a thing as a totally a fraud free election. In general, Texas was satisfied that they came up to the came up with a decision. And the decision happened to be that uh, Donald Trump should get the electors. That's what the Constitution requires. But when Texas looked up, they said to themselves, huh, we're watching four states, including Pennsylvania, and they're basically so corrupt and broken, it looks like, that we're going to have our preference, our vote negated by... Pennsylvania's corruption and the other states, too. Now, the, the, the reason this is important is because when you run an election board, for example, one of the reasons you tell people it's not OK to have one vote of fraud is because if I let you vote fraudulent and you don't deserve to vote and you vote opposite me, you've taken away my franchise. Right. So we the people, each of us has the right to vote. 
And when we are offset by people who are cheating or don't deserve to, you know, don't have the right to vote in a jurisdiction or, you know, it's like illegals voting. Why should an illegal vote? And they do, by the way. Some people say illegals should vote in like uh, school board elections so far. Well, so that's the point. And when you do that at an election board level, at the local level, you can understand it. It's intuitive, right? You can't let we can't let. 10 people vote illegally because they're basically taking away 10 other people's votes, right? It's not right. What Texas is doing is looking up and they're saying, um, hold on a second. We ran our election right and they're taking, they're taking our preference away and our system shouldn't allow that. Now, the Supreme Court, you say, well, why is this case in the Supreme Court? There's nowhere else to go. This is a constitutional question. Now, remember, I've told you the battle for the republic right now is on three fronts. One battlefront is the legal fight over fraud. And you got Sidney Powell's cases and Linwood's cases and Rudy Giuliani's cases. You got people that were registered to vote here and registered there and, you know, adds up to massive fraud. Those are legal cases. And then you've got the constitutional questions. How can Texas allow Pennsylvania and other states to to change their votes because they're corrupt. That's a constitutional question, broadly speaking. And then, of course, the third battlefront is the propaganda information battle. So one of the values of the Texas lawsuit is I think they bring up a good claim. But I also think they bring up some talk, uh, some language, some um, some some counter information to what we see the people in many of the states uh, and many of the places uh, talk about it in the media, the fake news saying, oh, you know, this is over. This is what's going on. So it changes the information battle a little bit, which is helpful. Well, what happened overnight in the last maybe 36 hours, a little bit less, Texas filed a lawsuit and a number of other states piled on, including my home state of Missouri. I know many of us uh, had sent emails and texts to the uh, current attorney general, Eric Schmidt, and he joined in. It's fantastic. And lots of other states have said, yeah, wait, how can our state be disenfranchised by corruption in these other states. The system, the system that these other states used was broken. Now, this is a big ask. Don't get me wrong. The Supreme Court is being asked to look at the whole system and see the corruption and act. And one of the reasons why we have to worry about the propaganda slash information battlefront is because the the the, 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 uh, the Supreme Court, they're human beings. They're, they're human beings. And while they're going to abide by the law, they're going to watch what's happening. We need the people to understand in power. This is a problem for our, our republic if it's allowed to go forward popularly as well as legally as well as constitutionally so that's what happened and donald trump said he would join as a candidate he sees the problem too so suddenly you've got this case and we'll see what happens with the case it's been docketed we're waiting on whether it will be argued how be argued what the timing will be but it's a big decision could be a monstrously important decision and again back to my point it moves the ball it moves things further down the field in terms of the discussion and people like mo brooks Congressman Mo Books from Alabama, who was on um, was on uh, C-SPAN earlier and was saying, hey, with this system can't be it can't be allowed to work like this. I'm going to object on the floor of the House and the Senate and the joint session on January 6th. And we'll get to the bottom of it. So good for Mo Brooks and good. And my point is the fight goes on. Fight goes on. All right. Let me transition, though, because on this first segment, I want to make sure that we talk about this. I want to tell you the great news about General Flynn. After four years, almost three and a half years, General Flynn is finally freed of the prosecution uh, by these uh, these dishonorable people. Let me say it that way. 
And, you know, months ago when the Department of Justice said that they would dismiss the case, I think most of us thought, okay, well, that's ending. That's really good. That's going to end. And instead, it's taken months and months and months. But let me just put a fine point on this. After almost three and a half years, uh, a man, General Mike Flynn, who served in wars, ran towards the bullets in wars, was honorable in what he did. Later in his career, clearly he was not liked by Obama in terms of the policies and then the Obama administration. And then he became more publicly identified with certain positions. That's his right as an American. He fought for it and all the rest. But what we now know is he was hounded out of public life. He was targeted and that targeting and that prosecution, the prosecution has been, you know, the, the, the punishment, the process is the punishment. This is like out of a, out of a, out of a novel that, you know, you use the prosecution process as the punishment, bankrupt a family, you know, strain the relationships, you know, depress and demean the person. And by the way, none of these really happened to them. I don't think they extremely happened to him, but that's what they were targeting. He didn't go bankrupt because he fought his way back. He didn't get depressed as far as I could tell. And his family stepped up like like crazy. So thankfully, in the face of long odds, this man, General Michael Flynn, survived and, and thrived and has a platform. And ultimately, finally, in the last days, he's finally free of the burden of the punishment of this process. And he's going to go forward and play a role in American public life. That will be important, important. But when you reflect on how important these fights are for our Republic, and I hope you do. And when you reflect on this period in history and likely it'll be written. If you think the fake fake news is bad. If you think the news is dishonest and I do well, imagine what history is, how dishonest is history. Because the people that write history are, are just like these fake newsers, I think. And so but when history is written about this guy, General Mike Flynn, I think history will be kind because he's been an extraordinary American. And his role in this moment in history has been terrible for him, but illuminative. It, it has shined a light on the brokenness of the system in a way that we might not have been able to see. And so in, you know, oh, happy fault, as they say, in terms of uh, sin, you know, the things that have, 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 we've, we've, our failures lead us, if we handle it correctly, to grace. And in this case, as a nation, our failure to General Flynn probably has improved the nation because we've smoked out some of these really terrible, terrible people who have mistreated and misused our system, mistreated our people and misused our system. And that's a positive in a negative situation, but it's something we have to remember and we have to fight for, and we have to protect the history and the memory of the truth of this. Otherwise it will be lost. It will be lost intentionally. So it won't just be lost. It will be discarded. So that's what's at stake. And that's why when you watch the TV and you won't see it on the big news TVs, I'm sure, but on Saturday, December 12th from Washington, D.C., when you see General Mike Flynn address a million people in prayer and you hear his words, just remember what he's been through. And thank God that America turns out patriots like him. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is uh, Jake Novak. And Jake was with us. Uh, Jake, I was trying to look it up when you were on the program. You might remember for me. I remember uh, having you on, I, it must be six months ago, and we were talking about Iran. And uh, we were talking about what was happening. So now, in many ways, um, you were uh, prescient, I guess is the word, and you had some sense of what's going on. But first of all, welcome back, Jake Novak. And I have to tell you, since we last had you on, I, I was watching... I forget, was it maybe Scott Adams on his Periscope? Did he talk about you? Is that possible to you? Um, yeah, praising times, you yeah. to, as, a guy, as a guy to watch. Yeah, so uh, that's high praise from uh, Scott Adams, a Dilbert guy. So first of all, welcome back. And tell me um, what's going on. What are you seeing on this story? Walk us through the Iranian nuke story and what you saw and what's actually what it means right now. Well, sure. Um, well, when we spoke this summer, I was talking about a bunch of fires and explosions. And of course, that biggest explosion, the one we saw in Beirut that had the shockwaves coming out of, probably one of the most shared videos of the year. And I was talking about how all that wasn't a coincidence, all that was not an accident, that they were absolutely, my sources told me there were two, at least two, very high-level people in the um, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, which is their terrorist army, which is really their most important military wing that they were acting as moles for the, both the United States and Israel, telling us and Israel where these major targets were, where these weapons were being hidden. And I was wondering if they would start to start fingering and telling us people who, who you know, individual, where individuals were. Now, that was very heavy action over the summer. And then I think it quieted down. No, I know it did quiet down. And I think the reason why it quieted down right. in the early fall was because, not because of the election, but because I think they wanted to not uh, get involved and do anything to disrupt the uh, the peace accords that were being signed with the Gulf states, the other Gulf states, the Bahrain and UAE right. with Israel. I didn't. I think they wanted to keep the region quiet for that. But now that that's um, you know that's been done and the election is over, then we had this major event uh, at the end of last month where the. Um, I mean, I hate that they call him a nuclear scientist. It makes it sound like somebody in a lab coat and a kindly old gentleman. This was the world's number one weapons mastermind. This was a man, Moshe Fakhrizadeh, who was, they call him the father of the Iranian nuclear weapons program. This is a person who was in the running, who was trying to become the world's greatest mass murderer. Really, there's no other way to say it. I'm not trying to, you know, be hyperbolic here or crazy here. This guy was trying to create a nuclear weapons program for Iran, or nuclear weapons for real, for many years, and he was assassinated uh, just at the end of last month. So I think we've come now to a resumption of this process, and I think it's going to continue. I think there may be some other people who are targeted. I don't know who they are personally, obviously, but that was a major target they got very quickly. Well, we're talking with Jake Novak again, and and Jake, um, uh, point. I know on Twitter, uh, your Twitter handle, but is that the best place for people to track your stuff? Because you're kind of um, you're kind of doing a lot of different uh, writing. I mean, you write on the economy, of course, and all. And I, I want to make sure we don't miss anything. So tell us where, but also what what you know you you mentioned in your email exchange with me that. Uh, you know, President Trump gets criticized for his approach, and I guess in some ways he's, you know, as you point out, if there's a Biden administration, they're going to take a different approach. Walk us through what the reality of that, you know, success or failures have been in the last four years. Okay, so, so for your first answer, yes, the, my Twitter handle, at JakeJakeNY, just common spelling, at JakeJakeNY is the best place to follow all this stuff. Uh, you're right, I do write about a lot of different topics, but this has been one that I've been writing about for a long time, obviously the Middle East and Iran in particular. And yes, I mean, President Trump's 
approach is very interesting because what most administrations, both Republican and Democrat, by the way, I don't want to give a pass to either party before Trump on this. Right. Most of them look right. at the Middle East and said, like, well, you can't do anything really big until the Israelis and the Palestinians make their deal and make some kind of statehood for the Palestinians. And that's just, I always thought that that was, that was not only untrue, but that was a deliberate road, roadblock that many people who are enemies of the United States and Israel were putting up just so they wouldn't be any progress. So the Trump administration, with a bunch of more business-minded people and with people who were just not falling for that nonsense, made more progress. I mean, you know, he did more progress in four years than he could possibly have hoped for when he first became president in eight years. There's no way that anyone could have predicted that. But it worked very well because all it took was bringing in people who were not brought up with that same that same process, that same factory of Tufts and Georgetown that cr- grinds out all these State Department bureaucratic guys who all believe the same thing, and it's group think, think all the way, and that's why they don't have any progress. So that's one thing that's really been very, very interesting. The other thing is that, look, if the Biden administration comes in, I actually think that we're going to have the same result either way. Now, the big question right now is, is, is Saudi Arabia going to join in with these peace deals with Israel? Are they on right, the fence right now? Right. I think the reason why they're on the fence <clears throat> is not because of what they're worried about a new administration. I think it's because they need to figure out what their preamble is going to be. So in other words, if the Biden administration or presumptive Biden administration comes in and try to uh, strengthen the Iranian regime, get, you know, knocks away some emissions, get more gets more money in the pockets of these people. Then Saudi Arabia will be able to say, okay, we're going to make a deal with Israel now because we need to strengthen ourselves in the face of a stronger Iran. If those guys don't do that, if they decide to sort of keep the money away from Iran and sort of keep it, you know, they'll do it quietly, whatever they're going to do, and sort of keep most of the Trump policy in place, then the Saudis will still say, yeah, now we need to make an official deal with Israel because look what the benefits it created for us. Look how it's weakened Iran even under two different administrations. So I think they're just waiting for the preamble for the same result, which could happen in two months, it could happen in three months, it could happen in six months. But I think that the same Saudi Arabia is way past the point now of ever even considering breaking its relationship with Israel, uh, at least on security, but probably also on economics. And, and Jake, um, is that is it um, is it your assessment that that was Trump's the genius here? I, I mean, New York Times wrote a story the other day, and it's not related to the Middle East, but it's about Asia. And they said something like, you know, the a lot of the Asian uh, communities uh, that want more freedom and want more democracy, they like Trump because his unpredictability kept the dictators and the and the authoritarians uh, off off balance. Is that you know, it, does does he get credit for having, in this sense, been an off balance putting character that that gave things an opening? Or is it shrewder than that? Or what do you think? I think I think it's just the fact that this was not a career politician who had years and years worth of promises and relationships that were not necessarily good for the United States on his back. And again, this is something that I think that both Republicans and Democrats in Washington are guilty of. They're in Washington for a long time. They make certain friendships. They make certain deals. I mean, we're just unraveling the deals of Biden alone. I think every day we find out another connection he has with China. And I mean, it's just it's getting to a point now where I don't know how he can possibly have any kind of positive policy. So you had a guy like Trump, who and this is why they made such a big deal out of his very relatively small hotel or other business dealings abroad, which were basically nothing compared to some of these political deals. And he came in with no preconceived notions and no complete you know, promises that had to be made or any kind of uh, obligation of that kind. And I think that that had a lot to do with it. He came into it not having told a bunch of Arab states 10 years ago, oh, yeah, we'll never 
consider any peace unless we get this solved or that solved or this solved. And then, and then you had somebody like uh, Obama who didn't also have, actually, he had a lot of freedom to do this as well, but he decided right in the first few months of his presidency in 2009, if you remember, to go all over the Arab world and talk to them in the Muslim world and talk to them basically about how the United States had made terrible mistakes and putting us in a position right. where we didn't have any authority. I mean, President Trump didn't make any apologies. He said, listen, this is what we want in the Middle East. Let's make it happen, as opposed to, we're sorry we made all these mistakes before. So between the Obama uh, bad policy and these people who have all these encumbersome you know, uh, deals that they've made in the past, Trump was a very big breath of fresh air, and you can, and you can you know, unfortunately, we, we seem to be going back to someone who has even more than the average Washington person coming into to office now in Biden, who has all kinds of, you know, millstones around his neck there. We're talking with Jake Novak. And Jake, I, I want to finish. I just got about a minute or so left. Uh, over on LinkedIn, I also follow you on LinkedIn. And they, over there, they post your uh, business briefings. And, and so, because uh, uh, Jake Novak's also with uh, CNBC uh, and writes there and, and on the editorial page there. So the economy, I mean, give me your sense on the economy and, and, and where you think we are. Um, is the economy coming back in such a way it doesn't really matter who's president for a while? Uh, I wish that were true. I think the big Wall Street, big corporation economy is coming back because they mostly found a way to make plenty of money even with the lockdowns. You know, Target was able to sell, keep their doors open, and Walmart was able to keep their doors open while your local restaurant and local clothing guy couldn't. So I, I, I'm a little bit worried about that because now I'm afraid of new regulations coming in with the new administration that will stop job growth. One of the things people don't maybe don't understand is that it's small business that creates the jobs in this country. The big businesses move jobs around, but they don't create net gain and job growth once they become a big business. So I actually am very, very worried, and I think one of the biggest things we need to take a look at is let's make sure that our small businesses aren't overregulated by a new administration all over again because that will kill job growth. And we really need more job recovery right now, more than we need another Wall Street, you know, increase to the Dow Jones. Hmm. All right. Jake Novak, thank you. We'll put it up on social media, all your stuff. We appreciate it again. Tell me, Jake, again, that Twitter handle at Jake, Jake, New York, NY. Is that right? Right. At Jake, Jake, NY, two Jakes, at Jake, Jake, NY. And that's where you can pretty much. I got a lot of other places, but everything is announced there. So you'll be fine with that once all that right. Great. All right. Thanks, Jake Novak. Appreciate it very much. And uh, keep up the good work. And we will take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our old friend Lord Conrad Black is with us. we got to catch up with him and get an update on where he thinks things are. And uh, I have to say, uh, Lord Black, you've seen a lot of politics in your day. You've covered it as a publisher. You've written about it as a historian. Has this election, does this election stand out as one of the more extraordinary things you've seen in your in your life? It certainly does. It certainly does. It's uh uh, in the first place, it's a tainted election. I mean, I remember the election of, I, this is how elderly I've become, the election of 1960, where officially they're still looking for some of the ballot boxes in Chicago. Uh, and and it's, it's not clear who won that election between Mr. Nixon and Mr. Kennedy. But uh, and, and, of course, we all remember 2000, where uh, officially or ostensibly it was decided by 537 votes in Florida. But here you, you, you obviously had serious irregularities in a number of states involving rather a lot of ballots and uh, and of course in addition to that the climate now the political climate is so antagonistic it's not like anything i think any living person has seen in the united states 
Yeah, no, and I, well, we could go talk about that in a moment, but let me go. Uh, there's a you've got a new piece up over at American Greatness uh, a few days ago now, actually maybe more, almost a week, I guess. But um, and uh, and in that headline, the title of it, which is great, is um, gearing up for round three of the Great Trump War. But the last paragraph reads like this: Six months of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will generate vertiginous nostalgia for Donald Trump. Then will come the third and final round of the Great Trump War. Short-circuited for our listeners. What's the third round of the Trump War? Well, it is who wins the next presidential election and and the run-up to that, which would include the midterm elections. And indeed, you could say the third Trump the third round of the Trump war is is the runoff in Georgia on the 5th of January for the two Senate seats. But uh, it looks to me that unless the Supreme Court does something miraculous on this Texas case, uh, Biden is going to be inaugurated. And and I I think the majority of voters, including a large number of Democrats, are very suspicious of the integrity of the result. So we've seen Trump in office. Uh, he attacked. He, he attracted immense antagonism for aspects attaching to his personality, but his policies have effectively been ratified uh, in in the congressional elections and and in the country in the elections in the states, and and polls indicate that most Americans felt they were better off with him than they were before, and and if you if you poll policy by policy he's well supported on immigration treatment of the allies dealing with china trade and so forth and um and and the the history of these things is that people gradually forget uh, the negative things, the annoying things about presidents, and and remember the good things. That's why all ex-presidents are popular after a while. I mean, Mr. Nixon left under a terrible cloud, but after a few years, he was a very popular figure whenever he appeared in public. And and uh, um, this administration looks to me like a ramshackle group of competing elements who have almost nothing in common with each other except their dislike of Trump. Biden is not a mm-hmm. strong leader. He was never a particularly impressive political leader at the height of his powers, and, and, and he certainly is, is a figure, in, and I, I say this with compassion, in some physical and intellectual decline now. And uh, and I don't know that anyone put him forth as a candidate claiming that he was a particularly strong leader. He just wasn't Trump, and he was and Sanders, and and uh, mm-hmm. and you 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 have I mean, to judge by the people he's putting forth as cabinet members. Some of them are unexceptionable. I mean, I don't think you can claim that Janet Yellen isn't qualified to be Secretary of the Treasury. I, I, I you know I, I don't think she has any policy except expanding the money supply. But she is a qualified person. Uh, but some right. of these people are ridiculous choices, and 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 they are at this stage, at least in their careers, coming to office or at least to consideration and possible confirmation for high office, uh, advocating things that the country doesn't approve of. And uh, and I think it is going to be a gong show. I think it's going to be an absolute shambles. I don't think any of these people have any idea what it is like to actually govern. Uh, you know, they're pretty good at taking cheap shots at the outgoing president. But what have any of these people ever done to inspire any confidence? Do they have any idea what they're doing in the positions they're aspiring to? And I think it is going to be a shambles. And in four years, I think as long as Trump gives them a proper chance, which they never gave him, 
the traditional honeymoon and, and doesn't try and run a parallel presidency, just lets Joe stew in his own juice, uh, then I, I think uh, they will clearly win. I mean, history indicates them ever since 1934. In 34, Roosevelt gained seats in, in the Congress, but that was exceptional mm-hmm. circumstances, and he was a great leader. Ever since then, the out of uh, the, the out of office party gains in the interim elections and uh, midterm elections, and and the, so the, Demo- the Democrats are going to be in the minority in both houses of the Congress, and it, it the Republicans are Trump's party, and if he just cleans it up a bit, is less controversial, a little more suave, lets the Democrats. Uh, you know, make their own mistakes. And Napoleon said, don't ever interrupt an enemy when he's in the process of making a mistake. Just let him do it. And then come out of the gate like a shot and say, when I was there, this is what we did. You've seen what these people can do. It won't be Biden running again, but whoever it is. Uh, and then and, and he, he has a good chance to win. And, and only the second president after Grover Cleveland have non-consecutive terms. We're, we're talking with Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black, who is a historian as well as uh, was a publisher and uh, writes frequently over to American Greatness and others. And, and your book from uh, 2018, Donald J. Trump, a president like no other. You, you know, your analysis of him, your your analysis of what he is was doing, is doing as president. If you had to put a, a bet on whether he if he doesn't get to maintain his second term right now, if he would run again, what's your sense Will he run? Uh, thank you for mentioning my book. I should say it's upgraded to now. The, the, that book, A President Like No Other, is upgraded to now. There was a one. The, oh, edition, good. the original one was 2018, but it's been updated. There's a new edition now. Uh, look, I, I, you asked me to get into mind reading, and I'm not qualified to do it. But I would say <laughs> right. it's clear he likes the job. He is a man who does not like to lose. I, I don't have any reason to doubt that his health will be fine in four years. He'll just then be the age that Biden is now uh and i would say uh i would i'm being arbitrary taking a shot at him admitting that i'm just you know i'm just guessing what another man will think in four years but um mm-hmm. i would say the chances are 60 40 or two-thirds two to one in there somewhere yeah uh, and and if it isn't him if he feels that either he, he he's getting tired or it, uh, he it, it, he doesn't think the climate is right for him Whoever it is will be whoever he supports, because he is the only person in the United States and the only person who's been in the United States since Roosevelt's time for whom scores of thousands of people will stand in the rain for hours just to see him in person. The Republicans are his party now. And and if he doesn't want the nomination, then whoever he supports should should be the nominee. And and I, I if you ask me what you haven't, but if you did, as of this minute, my guess would be that would be Cruz. Uh, you know, I think they've patched up their differences, and uh, I think Cruz has improved his relations with his fellow senators, and especially if he argues this Texas case before the Supreme Court, um, I, I think his credentials are strong. Now, he's not a charismatic figure who'll have, you know, you know, fill every stadium he goes to everywhere in the country the way Trump can do, but, but right. if, 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 if he's Trump's choice... He'll, he'll basically have the support of the, of the great Trump faction, and and he will not have all the animosity that Trump has. We, again, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black, and uh, I'll make sure to put your book up on social media, make sure it's updated. I see that now, and uh, I apologize for that. And uh, But so the last question here is, um, you, you've, again, you've watched this. If you had to bet the Supreme Court steps in here, if you had to bet they will or they won't, what's your sense? 
I'm afraid it is that they won't. Um, I think it's an imaginative argument, the Texan argument. Um, uh-huh. But I thought the Pennsylvania argument was a good argument, too. But I, I think the Texas one is, is, is imaginative, and it is an area where it is absolutely solely the Supreme Court that can decide. It's a dispute between states, and only the Supreme Court can decide that. No one else, not the Congress and not any other court. And um, uh I, I I I just I just have a feeling that this court and especially this chief justice are averse to getting involved, and and that and that it is it is what you'll get is a polite demurral saying that the, that they are raising an issue a bit late that is very complicated and the way to deal with it is to is to be more specific about how the laws objected to in the states mentioned should be changed and and make that a constitutional argument to be addressed not by the court but by the legislatures of the relevant states uh, tightening up yeah. the uh, verifiability rules on their, on their voting procedures but I, I, I my guess I, I, if I'm betting man I, I'd say if, if, if you want the odds I would demand at least two to one odds that the court would intervene effectively. <laughs> I, 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 it, to me, they, I think uh, you look. It's it's a, it's an imperfect process, and uh, right. and 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 th- those who are absolute constitutional worshippers get carried away at times. But it has served the country pretty well for two hundred and whatever it is, two hundred and forty years. I think you're probably right. We'll look back on that. All right, Conrad, Lord Conrad Black. Thank you as always, and uh, appreciate it. Keep writing over to American Greatness, other places. Very helpful. We'll have you back on very soon. Uh, Lord Conrad Black, uh, thanks very much. much, We'll take a quick break. Yep, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Today marks the 55th anniversary of the iconic cartoon special known as A Charlie Brown Christmas. On December 9, 1965, and every year thereafter, network television broadcasted this heartwarming cartoon with its all-important message. Unfortunately, 2020 will see the end of this noble tradition. Apple TV purchased the rights to the special, so it will no longer be aired on television as we know it. While I'm sad to see the end of the public broadcast of an American classic, it's important to note that the message of the special is as timeless as ever. The climax of the story comes when everything seems to be going wrong for Charlie Brown's Christmas plans. Yet Linus steps in to answer the all-important question, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? His answer is simply to recite the famous passage from Luke chapter 2 in the Bible, which describes the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sadly, fighting the war on Christmas has become almost as much of a tradition as the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Every year, the political pundits line up to falsely claim that Christmas is not under attack, despite the nativity displays being quietly removed from schools, programs, and town squares. The debate goes back and forth until the new year, when everyone issues a ceasefire in the war until the next Christmas season. I don't want to give up fighting for Christmas. We cannot allow the left to destroy America's cherished Christian traditions. Preventing Americans from celebrating a recognized federal holiday makes as much sense as accepting psychiatric advice from an unlicensed young girl like Lucy. 
However, let's never lose focus of what Christmas is really about. Ironically, the meaning of Christmas is exactly why liberals want so desperately to suppress it. Christmas is about the birth of God incarnate. He came to offer redemption and hope to people living in darkness. There will always be people who want to stifle the spread of hope. We need to keep fighting the war on Christmas because the message of Christmas is worth spreading. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And let me um, let me just spend a couple of minutes with you explaining what is happening in Washington, D.C. on December 12th. Uh, there's been a lot of talk. You've heard me talk about it. And one of the one of the uh, listeners said, hey, you're talking too much inside stuff. I don't quite get it. So let me break that down. By the way, if you go to Ed Martin, excuse me. Pro-America Report, Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can get signed up for the daily email I send out at 8 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. It'll give you all these details, too. But let me just walk you through it and uh, and tell you what we're up to. Okay, so um, about right after the election, some folks were saying, hey, we should have a big prayer event. And let's do it on December 12th. And there were two different sets of people, actually two specific people, but then they kind of their friends and others. And they kind of came together and it became this Jericho March. And and around the same time, people wanted to do things prayerfully at state capitals and they became Jericho Marches also. So if you know the story of the Jericho Marches, uh, the, the uh, faithful marched around Jericho, I think it was seven times, and then the walls fell and uh, and Jericho fell. And it was a, it's a tribute and a and it's an instance of God's power uh, when armies couldn't win prayer armies could so that's what's gone on and every single day across the country there are people who are praying at state capitals and and focused on protecting the republic the integrity of the election uh, doing the right things is what's happening so that's what's gone on and about a I don't know, week after the election I was introduced to a couple of the key folks in this and I realized these are extraordinary people it's an extraordinary movement and I tried to assist any way I could I mean we a lot of the eagles that I work with philosophical eagles we're kind of clued into it. And so we encouraged it and it was great. And so what you're seeing is a bunch of we, the people who have gotten motivated to kind of get together and kind of move ahead. And so the invitation for December 12th is anyone who wants to come. There'll be lots and lots of us and people here and many will be staying home. They'll stream the whole thing uh, live on Right Side Broadcasting, uh, as well as I think another couple channels. And so you'll see the whole thing. And along the way, it wasn't important to have a big name speaker, although it was important to have some uh, quality uh, preaching and and uh, praise music, and that was uh, moved along fine and and all. Um, but somewhere about two weeks ago, ten days ago, we realized that maybe uh, somebody like General Flynn would be able to come. And so, sort of, if you if you um, if you see how it's happened, the Lord provides, and there we have it. And so, General Flynn will be making his first public appearance in after three and a half years of being held uh, in this kind of abeyance by the uh, terrible uh, uh, lawsuits, uh, excuse me, uh, a criminal prosecution against 
in, which was uh, so terrible. And so we're that's exciting enough. I mean, it's kind of really, really wonderful to have that happen uh, and him be the timing of it work. But more importantly, the offer to you all and the encouragement is to find in this season where lots of politics, lots of fake news, lots of fighting over things has gotten kind of you know, heated and, and chaotic to see where the space is for you to uh, find some, uh, you know, prayer focus. And so that's what JerichoMarch.org, if you go there and see, it's an extraordinary work uh, by some volunteers. Nobody has um, kind of a, a big name, uh, I don't know what to say, a consultant or anything. It's just kind of do-gooders who believe in what they're doing and are trying to make a difference. So JerichoMarch.org, and I will say this, if you have an opportunity, there is a way you can contribute there. It's not insignificant to put together a big uh, a program December 12th at 12 noon. And before that, by the way, an hour and a half before, there'll be marches around some of the key buildings. But more importantly, have a good thought and a prayer for the success of the effort because a lot of logistics, a lot of pieces, a lot happening, and uh, you know, just a lot to do. So uh, thank you for your interest in that. I got a few folks that emailed me about it, and keep an eye on it. As always, thank you to Randy, our great technical director, filling in for Noah, Joanna for helping book guests, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.